Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name. I thank you and I praise you for taking care of us, for loving us, for blessing us with life, and for giving us a vision for life beyond death. Lord, our God, I ask that you would give us the grace to stand for life. Lord, give us the grace to stand for the truth. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gift of Pope Benedict XVI, and we ask that you would grant him, Lord, uh, a, a full share in his heavenly reward. Lord, if he is still in purgatory, we do pray for his final purification and quick entry into eternal life. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's funny, when my kids and I were talking about purgatory over over the Christmas break, one of the things that showed up was, okay, when I die, or when mom dies, so do not stop praying for the repose of my soul until you get a sign from heaven that I'm there. <laughs> I'm serious. So it's like, guys, don't just presume that I'm sharing in the fullness of, of eternal life in heaven. You you got to keep praying, okay? And we'll in, and ask the Lord for the mercy of receiving a a sign, uh, some indication that uh, I have reached my heavenly reward, um, or Mom, or Carrie, right? And so um, so they said, okay, okay, yeah, we will, we will. I think they're all banking on the five first Saturdays uh, uh, blessing, right? The five first Saturdays is one of the promises of making the five first Saturdays that's dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary is that essentially the first Saturday after your death, the Blessed Mother will come and take you home to heaven from purgatory if you're if you're there. So you're not going to be in purgatory longer than a week. So let's go. <laughs> so, all right. Um, yesterday on the program, I, I was bearing I don't know, sort of the burden of the Word of God, the the heavy burden of the prayer of distress, the prayer of being overwhelmed, the prayer of being anxious. And I found myself surrendering a lot, just surrendering, surrendering. And, And you know what? That's not a bad thing to do, that act of just surrendering to the Lord when you're feeling overwhelmed. And there was a way in which the... Uh, this was connected to the realm of tragedies and death. And as I was focused on, uh, you know, these recent happenings, um, the the deaths in Idaho of the four college students, as well as these deaths of well, Pope Benedict and Pele and Barbara Walters, and and then the these tragedies of Jeremy Renner's um, accident while working on a snowplow. Um, and I guess more information's come out about that, and he's still in really bad condition, I guess. And uh, the football player who had cardiac arrest, I guess, is the is the report. His heart stopped on the football field, and I guess it's it's beating again. I guess my understanding is on its own, but he's still in critical condition, and and so it was all of that all of that heaviness. Well, I forgot to mention. One of these, these were like important themes all by themselves, but there was also a wind up to a, another pitch. And it was a conversation that Carrie had with a couple of women recently. And they were talking about, they disclosed 
that uh, one of them disclosed, and then the other disclosed that um, they had had an abortion, and how the impact of that abortion, the decision to have that abortion in their lives, the de- decision that it made. Now, uh, I don't know the full context. I don't even know who it was. She didn't disclose to me who she was talking to, but these were two women of faith, followers of Christ and uh, of, of real committed faith, but shared about an earlier part or time in their lives where, uh, I don't know the circumstances, but you know, as a younger woman uh, became pregnant and under whatever circumstances made the decision to have an abortion, um, and my understanding was it wasn't done with this idea that she was forced to get one. But the impact afterwards... The way that Carrie described it, she said it was heartbreaking, listening to one. And then the second woman said, she, she, she ended up sharing her story, that there was some similarities to it. But in both instances, there was this deep sense of suffering and this deep sense of regret and this sense of needing like a decade of counseling to be able to deal with the fact that she had ended the life of the baby within her womb through the abortion and how that was something that she was carrying with her in her life. And Carrie's comment was not only one of a sense of compassion, like a real deep sense of compassion for, you know, these two women who shared this with her in confidence, but in addition to that, there was this sense of, why don't we make these realities more known? Why don't we hear about the pain, the burden, the, 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 the spiritual, emotional bondage that is so often connected to having an abortion? It's so sanitized by the mainstream media. It's as if it's quick, painless, easy, one and done, move on. And yet the reality is the wreckage, the damage, the pain, the suffering, the the trauma, the tragedy that it uh, unwinds into the lives of so many women who regret their abortions, regret their abortions, so many women end up having abortions because of, of the reality of choice. Okay, and I'm going to surprise you here. The, the reason why many abortions happen is because women are not free to make the choice that they really want to make when they find themselves unexpectedly pregnant, even unexpectedly pregnant the choice that they, within themselves, want to make, would make, is to remain pregnant. And this is a shocking thing. This is something that I don't think we appreciate enough. It's I don't think I've actually talked about this in quite a while on the program. It's something I would bring up every now and again just to reveal, uh, to expose the big lie. The big lie of the pro-choice movement is that they are not pro-choice. Did you hear that? 
the big lie of the pro-choice movement is they are truly, deeply not pro-choice. They are pro-abortion. Okay? And, and it only takes a simple statement to reveal the big lie, and it's this. Are you supportive of the choice that women would make who would make the choice to remain pregnant? Are you supportive of that choice? If you're really truly pro-choice, are you pro the choice of women who would remain pregnant? Now, part of the part of the answer is that a lot of women, a lot of women who are like let's say not deeply thoughtful about their pro-choice stance would say, well, of course I am. If a woman wants to remain pregnant and have a baby, of course I, I'm supportive of that. And then all it takes is a simple statistic. What about women who would choose to remain pregnant but feel forced to have an abortion? Don't feel free to make the choice to remain pregnant. Do you know statistically how many women would choose to remain pregnant but end up having an abortion because because they don't feel the freedom to make that choice? And, And they'll say, well, it must be really practically close to zero, right? Women who get abortions want to get abortions. And... The insanity is that depending on the source that you refer to, and one of these sources is at least in the past, and, and I honestly haven't fa- I haven't kept abreast of the statistics. It at least years ago it was sixty percent, according to the research arm of Planned Parenthood, sixty percent of women who got abortions would have chosen to remain pregnant, but felt forced, felt like they had no choice but to get an abortion. If you talk to a different agency that did research on this, that was involved in the adoption industry, their research was that 90% of the women who got abortions would have chosen to remain pregnant, but didn't feel free to do so. So either way, it's the majority. (laughs) Depending on, to pick your source, the majority of women who get abortions do so because they don't have a choice. They don't feel deeply like they have a choice. They don't feel like the choice is there for them in their life circumstances, their life situation, the relationships they're in, the family they're a part of, the, the, the actual lived circumstances of their lives make them feel like they're stuck. Well, why don't we, as a country, why don't we, as a society, why don't we have more efforts to free women who want to make the choice to remain pregnant, but don't feel free to do so. Let's identify what they, what they would uh, see as obstacles, as blockages, as things that stop them and hold them back from remaining pregnant, and let's remove those obstacles. Let's empower them to remain pregnant and give birth to their children. Do you know how many lives we would save? And do you know how much wreckage would be saved in the lives of those women who felt forced to get abortions and then did. These, these were the women that Carrie were, was talking to, feeling forced because of circumstances in life to get an abortion and the wreckage it left behind, 
a decade of counseling, of therapy, of somehow trying to work through, what have I done? What have I done? I remember a conversation with a woman one time, uh, a dear friend, someone I knew from way back in high school. And when uh, she was talking to me, we were in our 20s, and she uh, revealed to me in, in, our com- in a conversation, she said, every time I see uh, a little six-year-old girl or boy or a child right around that age, I have this pain in my heart. I have this deep sense of sadness, this pain in my heart, because I would have had a child that age. But I chose to get an abortion. And then it was, well, I didn't choose it. I felt pressured by my family. My mom pressured me to get an abortion. And so I did because of the family pressure, especially from her mom. And she was bearing the pain, the suffering, the guilt of that decision. So yesterday uh, I was reflecting on this reality of the, you know, the, the distress, the, the anxiety, the, the sense of feeling overwhelmed that's connected to tragedies and difficulties and circumstances that impact life that, that reduce, diminish, or put life at risk, or bring about the ending of a life. And when we're talking about the ending of a, of a full life, an amazing life, a glorious life, like the life lived by Pope Benedict, that's one thing. But when we're talking about the innocent life of a child in his or her mother's womb, being destroyed by the mother, or by those who pressured the mother to make that decision, that is on us. My brothers and sisters, this is, we may not be guilty, but we're all accountable. We may not have made the decision, but we are responsible. This is not something that is free from us. This is a calamity that continues to happen in our country. Thanks be to God, 2022 will go down as the year that Roe versus Wade was overturned. But the battle continues, state after state, and sadly, tragically, uh, above all, among the top tier states where this tragedy calamity is promoted, supported, and advanced, it's here in the state of Washington. Shame on us if we don't do more, more vigorously, more regularly, more intently, to stop the destruction of innocent human lives in the mother's wombs and the destruction of so many women's lives who are forced into it. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com.
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So I promised you um, some quotes from Pope Benedict, uh, who has passed from this earthly life and into eternity, into his heavenly reward. And we do pray for the repose of his soul, even as we await his funeral mass tomorrow, which will be presided over by Pope Francis. And so please continue to pray for the repose of his soul. And as you do so, remember to pray for Barbara Walters and Pele as well. Uh, and again, this is just, this is sort of my my word for the year is expiation. My word for the year is offering prayers and sacrifices and offering up sufferings for souls that are near to death but far from God. Souls that are near to death but far from God. You can impact someone's eternity. Did you hear that? You can impact someone's forever, where they end up in in forever by praying for them, praying for them, remembering them in your prayers. Um, In this book, Why Must I Suffer? I mentioned that. It was just such a powerful thing. Listen to this. He says, um, what here has been described, which is the idea of offering prayers and sacrifices and sufferings for souls that are near to death but far from God, which means what? They're trapped in mortal sin, which means they, they can't move towards God, right? They're stuck. They're stuck in, they're like Lazarus, stuck in the tomb. And yet they're close to natural death. And if they, if they die a natural death, if they die their death, in that state of spiritual deadness, that puts them before the judgment of God with a sentence of hell. They have essentially damned themselves to hell by the lives that they've led. I don't want that. I don't want that for anyone. For anyone, no matter how heinous their crimes, I don't want anyone to suffer in hell forever. And so I can impact that. And the Lord can stir in us the desire to impact that by praying and offering sacrifices and suffering for those souls that are near to death right now, literally, since I've even started this simple reflection on this, some one or two or three or 10 people around this world have died. What was their condition? Can you imagine impacting that by just saying a prayer for them? Praying for them that the Lord would intervene in, in a supernatural interventional way to bring about the salvation he wills for that soul to occur, and he'll use us in our prayers, our good works, our sufferings, our, our uh, acts of self-denial for them. What an amazing thing that you can do right now with your life. Well, this is what he says in Why Must I Suffer? He says, what's been described occurs not at rare intervals only, but thousands of times every day in the year. Whoa! <laughs> this act of salvation, interventional salvation in the final moments of someone's life that is trapped in mortal sin and is destined to hell, is intervened and broken into because of the prayers and sufferings, the good works of others to bring about their salvation, that God used you in your prayers, sufferings, good works, and self-denial to expiate their sin in accord with Christ's will to save. Oh my goodness. What has been described occurs not at rare intervals only, but thousands of times every day in the year. Nearly 100,000 souls pass into eternity every 24 hours. How many of these are saved and how many are lost, we have no means of knowing. For God has made no revelation on this point. But so much we can take for certain. And remember now, this is a very devout, 
traditional priest who wrote this book, Father Remler. This is not some modern liberal idea. This is a traditional book on the traditional understanding of suffering, and I got all kinds of saints to back it up, but just to hear what he says, how many saved, how many are lost, we have no means of knowing, God's made no revelation, but so much can be certain that of those who are saved, very many owe their salvation to the grace of conversion procured for them in the hour of death by the prayers and sufferings of the friends of God on earth. Wow! I'm trying to think of a more impactful statement that anyone has written on, like, to move you to take action in your life. I mean, really. Holy cow. Let me read it again. So much is certain that of those who are saved, those that are saved today, among the thousands who die every day, those who are saved, very many owe their salvation to the grace of conversion procured for them in the hour of death by the prayers and sufferings of the friends of God on earth. That is just so amazing to me. That is so powerful in my mind. That is so inspiring. It's like, you know, what do you want to do with your life? What will you, like, What's, what's, do you want to have a good day? Do you want to have an amazing day? Do you want to have a day? Like Mary Catherine, my daughter, she's a sophomore at Franciscan. She texted our family text group one day. She said, hey, everyone, I saved someone's life today. <laughs> hey, everyone, just want you to know I saved someone's life today. And we're like, whoa, what happened? So she called and she told us the story. She was in class. And um, one of the students in the class passed out, uh, had a seizure, and started to like foam at the mouth. And this was like some, um, uh, it, was, it was a class that was like biology or, or some class that had to do with some kind of like medical something or other. In any case, the teacher did nothing. The teacher just froze. And the students froze. She said, we should get help. Come on, let's go. And, and everyone just froze. So she ran down to the like faculty offices into the faculty lounge and said, quick, come here. Because there was like one or two nurses that were teachers there that were in the faculty lounge. And they ran down to the, uh, to the, uh, to the classroom where the, where the student was. Um, they called 911. And they got in, uh, an ambulance there, and um, and the the faculty members were able to um, like help the um, help the young man. Um, they, they didn't perform CPR or anything like that, but um, it was a little bit of drama in what she was saying. <laughs> but she was she was taking a lot of credit for the fact that she took action. The, the the boy fell over and everyone froze and she did something about it. She ran, she called 911, she ran to the faculty, got back there, she got medical um, expertise into the room to make sure that that young man was going to be okay. And and did she actually save his life? Well, probably not actually save his life because I think he, I think he was, they were able to revive him and 
um, and he, you know, was fine. But um, she still took that action to intervene and um, have something not seriously bad happen to him. Well, listen to what this Father Remler says in his book, Why Must I Suffer? He says, who can have an idea of the sentiments of love and gratitude which the soul will have forever towards those by whose prayers and sufferings she was rescued from hell itself at the last moment and sent rejoicing on her way to heaven and how these sentiments will be intensified when she contrasts her happiness in heaven with the misery to which she would have been condemned in hell had it not been for the grace of conversion procured for her by generous sufferers on earth. The gratitude that you would feel toward one who rescued you from hell or from death by fire, sorry, bears no comparison with that which a soul feels towards those who have rescued her from the endless fire of hell. Wow. So if I'm, if, if this is a, this is a theme for me, this is my 2023. So you're going to hear about it. I, I, maybe if I, if I say it enough, it'll like light a fire, uh, a new devotion in the church, in our age, soul rescuers, hell rescue. <laughs> what, do we, what do we call it? Uh, it's, um, I think it was St. John of the Cross who talked about, he wanted to like plant me at the door, at the gates of hell and let me preach there so that I can like prevent souls from um, entering into hell. I don't remember which saint it was. I got to dig that one up. But, you know, that's the ministry. That's the ministry. I mean, you want to do an amazing work? And here's the thing. Who can do this work? Who has the ability, the capacity, the freedom, the opportunity to, to do that work of soul rescue, to do that work of uh, damnation rescue, uh, hell rescue? Who, who can do that work? Anyone. 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 Do you know one way to do it? Anybody suffering out there? Yeah, there you go. There's your ticket. There's a there's a front row seat ticket. There you go. St. John Paul II said that we share in the work of redemption. We share in Christ's work of bringing redemption to the world. Right? So that's the work of evangelizing, proclaiming Christ, and bringing salvation that sets people free. That's the act of redemption, right? Setting them free from sin and death and hell, into the transformation and the elevation of being children of God through baptism, entering the church, and all of that. The great work of redemption, he said, is accomplished through the words that we speak and the deeds that we do, right? Words and deeds, those are the natural ways that we think about bringing about the work of redemption. He says, however, the most fruitful way, the most fruitful way, the most pro found way that we share in Christ's work of redemption, of redeeming the world, is not by what we say or do, but through the sufferings that we undergo and endure. Did you hear that? So you want to do a great work of God, 
proclaiming the gospel. You want to do a great work of God, uh, helping people come to Christ. Yes, you do that, please, by the, the words that you speak and the deeds that you do. Yes, yes, please. Yes, please. Jesus brought about the redemption of the world through any one of his actions because it was perfect. He perfectly fulfilled justice, but he chose to undergo suffering. And in doing so, he gave us the opportunity to associate our suffering to his, to associate the sufferings of whatever sort, whatever source. It might be because of your own sin, the fruits of your own sin. You're enduring suffering. Offer it up to the Lord. Let it be redemptive, Lord. Let it be redemptive, Lord. Lord, I'm enduring right now a sense of being overwhelmed by life circumstances. Lord, I offer it for souls that are near to death and far from God. Lord, right now I'm feeling a sense of fear and dread over what's happening in my life. Lord, I offer it to you for redemption. Lord, save a soul that's near to death but far from God. Lord, I'm suffering physical pain right now, the flu. It's just it's just knocking me down. I feel terrible. I feel horrible, Lord. When will this end? When will the fever break? When will my body not ache? When can I breathe normally? Lord, when can I get out of my bed of pain? I don't know, Lord. I'm asking for it. But until then, I offer you my suffering. I offer it all to you. All of it, Lord, please, to save a soul who's near to death but far from God. Save that poor sinner, Lord. Save souls. That's what I want to do with my life. And yeah, do it through the radio, through speaking. Yeah, do it through the, the deeds that I'm doing to raise my kids in faith and speak in churches and, and go out and serve the poor in whatever ways that God has me to do. Yeah, absolutely all of those things. But there's the secret work. There's the hidden work. There's the work that's not known to the public. Go into secret where the Father sees in secret. And many of you live secret hidden lives. But all of us have secret hidden parts of our lives for sure. For instance, you have a secret just that whenever you're driving between home and church or home in the store and you're by yourself, that's secret time. That's your private time. And you can use that time fruitfully as a, as a work of expiation. Let's go. Come on. Let's do something great for God. Let's, do, let's be part of a great work of saving souls. Come on. Let's do that. All right. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm fired up. I am fired up about this stuff. I said I was going to get to Pope Benedict, and I didn't even start yet. So let me start with a quote that's actually very fitting in this regard. This was a homily of his that came very beautifully, very beautifully in the first days of his pontificate. He said this, Each of us is the result of a thought of God. Each of us is willed. Each of us is loved. Each of us is necessary. That was, that was actually from the Mass inaugurating his pontificate. It was one of the most incredible homilies that I've ever heard. And that is just one of the quotes. One of the quotes. where This is when he received the Appallium. This is when he... Um, and he talks about suffering here. Um, and I, I, I'll talk more about here. Just one more. 
He says, the human race, every one of us, is the sheep lost in the desert which no longer knows the way. The Son of God will not let this happen. He cannot abandon humanity in so wretched a condition. He leaps to his feet and abandons the glory of heaven in order to go in search of the sheep and pursue it all the way to the cross. He takes it upon his shoulders and carries our humanity. He carries us all. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Wow. And he recognizes the pallium that he wore as his invitation to carry one another. All right, I'm up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is good. It's a great day to be with you. Even as we, we, we pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict, the, the call to prayer is just immense, right? So is the call to form our kids in faith. This was a, a big deal. Um, this was a, a big deal uh, to Pope Benedict, the importance of, um, uh, what's it called? The importance of education and formation. And um, he... There's so many different uh, occasions where he talks about the fact that our faith is meant to be embedded in culture, embedded in, in people's lives so much so that it creates this atmosphere, this culture that can bear the burden, that can bear the light of the gospel just through the, the very way we live as a society. And he put a great emphasis on education. And I bring that up right now because I'm about to head out in the next few minutes to a basketball game. And it's really cool because, um, uh, as you know, my kids, my uh, kids go to the Oaks, which is a classical Christian academy in um, Spokane. And um, there are, I don't know, a bunch of Catholics there, maybe 20, 20 Catholics out of the, out of maybe seven or eight percent of the kids are Catholic. Uh, but amazingly, it just, I call it the most Catholic school my kids have ever gone to. However, uh, tonight, the the boys high school team is playing against the uh, Coeur de Christ Catholic Academy in uh, in Cordelaine or the Coeur de Christ Academy in the Catholic tradition uh, that is in Cordelaine and uh, in order to go there we're going to be driving past uh, where, we're, where the game is in Post Falls and in order to get there we're going to be driving past. Uh, a basketball court where the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame is playing. And I'm just super excited that we have these uh, classical Catholic and Christian schools or classical schools in the Catholic and or Christian tradition that are changing lives, that are forming faith, forging faith in the lives of high school kids. I think you know that my stance is, it's a simple one, but it's a challenging one. That to raise high schoolers today in the Catholic faith is a heroic task. That it will take extraordinary efforts of being intentional and engaged in the lives of your kids if they are to graduate from high school and then college and still be practicing their Catholic faith. Because the likelihood that they will, if you just live the life you're living, an ordinary life of faith, 
is 14%. That's what it was a few years ago. It's probably less than that now, honestly. But scoring a 14 on a test is, it's beyond failure, right? It's, it's tragic failure. It's complete unacceptable failure. And yet, for the great majority of Catholic school systems, and frankly, of Catholic families, we really don't do anything different. We don't do anything different to interrupt that, to disrupt that. And so these schools and schooling systems are generating kids that are leaving their faith, that have lost their faith, that do not practice their faith, and by the time they're 25, are no longer identifying as Catholic. And so just doing what we've been doing has yielded 14% results. Okay, so whatever it is we think we've been doing, whatever it is we think we've been doing to instill the faith in our kids, by the time they're 25, this is now like this is like five or six years ago, six, six, seven years ago, the statistic was 14%. And I can I just like guarantee that it's gotten worse since then. So would you, if you value, if you say you value your kid's faith and you've got high schoolers, just doing what you've done, which is sending them to typical Catholic schools, is a recipe for your kids losing their faith. Just know that. That's, that's the expected result. It would be a great exception, an amazing exception, if your kid were to graduate from that school and eight years later, or four years later, still be practicing their faith. That would be a radical exception. And here's the thing. You don't have to believe me. Just go talk to parents whose kids have graduated from Catholic colleges or colleges in the last 10 years and ask them, are their kids self-identifying as Catholic, practicing their Catholic faith in a way that's intentional and fervent and grounding their identity? It gives them a sense of their identity. That's not a high bar. By the way, that is not a high bar. That's standard operating procedure. That's basic. That's, that's, that's minimum acceptable. That's a minimum acceptable beginning. I, to, go, to go to Pope Benedict, he says, God is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. Maybe that wasn't what he said. <laughs> he did say this, though. That, that's kind of a nice throwaway speaker line. God is Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I'm sure he said something like that, but he said this. <clears throat> he said, God is either a concept or he is the living God. If you believe in a God, you're either believing in a concept or you're believing in the living God. And it's belief in the living God that the Lord wants for us. And that means an encounter, right? That means an encounter. That means a, a real sense of meeting, communing, communicating, interacting, and, and having a sense of my identity, my purpose, my meaning in life is found in, rooted in, and flows from my relationship with God, the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what my life is. For me, life means Christ. I pursue Christ. I'm passionate for Christ. For me, I want to honor Christ in all that I say, think, and do. That is the starting line. How many 25-year-olds, how many 23-year-olds do we know that speak like that? act like that, that are pursuing that. Yeah, I think 14% is high. And yet, you go to the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame, 
You go to the Oaks Classical Christian Academy. You go to Court of Christ uh, Catholic Academy in Coeur d'Alene. That's just over here. Over there on the west side, if you're listening, if you go to Aquinas Classical Academy in Bremerton, um, and they're also opening, guess what, a Chesterton Academy this fall. Um, you, you go to these uh, more private and intentional Catholic efforts that have a classical uh, methodology, you're going to find intentional faith, generous living of faith. You're more likely to find, more likely to find, that the majority of kids are coming from families who are fostering in them intentional living of the faith, generous living of the faith, serious engagement with regards to the faith, the faith being the root of their identity. Now, not everyone can do that. So there are also some amazing co-ops, some, uh, some homeschool groups that will gather together and mutually support each other. Uh, like there was the Regina Chaley Academy that, was in, that had started in the Se- uh, Seattle area. Uh, there are a couple of co-ops out here. And they say, what they've said to me is, Tom, stop talking about our co-ops out here because we're completely full. We're overwhelmed with the number of families who want their kids to come to our co-op. So I don't even say, I don't even talk about them anymore. But the hunger of families to find life-giving alternatives where their kids can grow in faith is just absolutely devastating that we don't have more schools like this. So there was another little step away from the theme of today. (laughs) Welcome to my program, everyone. All right. Um, we're coming up against a break. When we come back, uh, oh, I'll tell you what happened because I'm, I'm heading out the door. Uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday night. Um, I'm heading out the door to the game. When I come back, the game will be over. I'll tell you what happened. And uh, I will give you a couple more quotes from Pope Benedict. And there's, there is tomorrow. So I'll have much more of a chance to explore more intentionally. And I really will. Some amazing quotes from Pope Benedict. Okay, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So even though you were only gone a minute, I was gone for five hours. Yes, that's right. So I went from here to the basketball game between the Corps de Christ Saints. What a great name, the Corps de Christ Saints. Uh, Corps de Christ, Heart of Christ, Corps de Lane, Corps de Christ. As you know, it's, a, uh, it's, a, uh, it's an academy. It's a classical academy in the Catholic tradition. And so uh, they, this is their first year in operation, and they have already got basketball team. They got a boys basketball team. They had a girls volleyball team, and boy, they battled. They battled and battled hard. It was really beautiful, actually, because so they were playing the Oaks, and um, so the Oaks has been around for twenty six years now, and. They have a good basketball program. You've heard me talk about it. I coach the girls' junior high team. I love basketball, and they have an amazing basketball program. And this year they happen to be, the boys' team happens to be undefeated. I've got two boys on the team. And it, um, it's been a great uh, thing to experience to watch, them, uh, to watch them play. But what was even um, 
I don't know, for me more special was the fact that the, the five starters on the Court of Christ team were all from St. Joan of Arc Catholic Church. And these are boys that uh, I've actually played against on, um, uh, there are like Friday night, I think now it's Tuesday night, St. Joan of Arc has open gym basketball. And uh, just great boys and girls at the open gym show up to play basketball. And um, and it just so happened that uh, five boys that were there, three of them um, were on the Knicks last year, the North Idaho Christian, which is sort of the arch rivals of the Oaks in basketball in particular. Um, but they um, left and came to Court of Christ. And, and the two other starters are, are boys and, and dear friends of ours uh, that go to St. Joan of Arc, just neat. I say neat, but fine young men. So you have these five fine young Catholic men battling, just battling. They're they're also, by the way, good. They're really super solid basketball players playing playing against uh, these this team that has some seasoned players on it. So two of the starters are seniors. There's a junior, and then um, <coughs> sorry, three seniors, a junior and a sophomore. But junior and sophomore, my two boys. And um, it, it, was, it was a battle. And, and it was one of those games where the score didn't really reflect how good of a game it was. Um, but for me, the thing that was um, more powerful than, um, than like watching these guys battle on the court was the, was the beautiful spirit in the stands. The wonderful group of young men and women that were there uh, the high schoolers from Court of Christ were there cheering on their team. And and then there were also a, a bunch of um, students from the Oaks that were there as well. And, and then the parents. And it just felt like a beautiful uh, like a reunion and kind of a homecoming for me because I had all these parents from the Oaks that I know. Um, but then I had all these parents from Court of Christ that I know in St. Joan of Arc. So just, it was a wonderful time of fellowship of mutual encouragement, um, great time to just to be together around um, a, a, a court, and and the neat thing was that you know they all battled hard and everybody wanted to you know win, but at the end of the day, at the end of the game, there were lots of smiles and handshaking and talking and um, encouraging each other that you just don't see that in in a typical environment. So when I talk about the fundamental importance of making good decisions, right decisions for where your kids are in high school in particular. It's just because there's so much at stake. And I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I hear the stories of the good, the bad, and the tragic. And I just want this for you, for your children, your grandchildren, that um, you're wise and courageous in your discernment and action taking regarding uh, something as fundamental as schooling. So, okay, I did promise uh, another quote, and so I'm, I'm going to stay with the Pope's inaugural homily, the, the homily at his, um, uh, his the beginning of his ministry as um, Benedict the Sixteenth. So that was back in 2005. Um, uh, in on April the twenty fourth, that Sunday, and uh, during this mass, there was the imposition, the giving of what's called the pallium. It's that, um, it's it's sort of the the Pope's um, stole, right? It's a little bit different than a stole. 
Um, it comes around it. It's made of uh, lamb's wool, and it has a special meaning to it, as well as the fisherman's ring, um, the ring that a, that a pope wears. That you, when you see um, cardinals or others come to greet the pope, they'll kiss his ring. Um, bishops also um, receive rings like that, and it's a sign of their call to um, to be fishers of men, to be evangelizing, to go forth and. Um, proclaim the gospel. So um, I want to, uh, I'm going to read from the end of the um, this homily, which is um, so beautiful because he connects it back to uh, Pope Francis, I'm sorry, Pope Francis, Pope St. John Paul II, and his words when he began, uh, when he was first announced as Pope, when he came out on the balcony, and he said, do not be afraid, open wide the doors for Christ. And I'm just going to pick up from here what Pope Benedict says. He says, uh, the Pope was addressing the mighty, the powerful of this world, who feared that Christ might take away something of their power if they were to let him in, if they were to allow the faith to be free. Yes, he would certainly have taken something away from them, the dominion of corruption, the manipulation of law, and the freedom to do as they pleased. But he would have not taken away anything that pertains to human freedom or dignity, or to the building of a just society. The Pope was also speaking to everyone, especially the young. Are we not perhaps all afraid in some way? If we let Christ enter fully into our lives, if we open ourselves totally to him, are we not afraid that he might take something away from us? Are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant, something unique, something that makes life so beautiful? Do we not then risk ending up diminished and deprived of our freedom? And once again, the Pope said, no. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing nothing, absolutely nothing, of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No, only in this friendship are the doors of life opened wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship do we experience beauty and liberation. And so today, with great strength and with great conviction, on the basis of long personal experience of life, I say to you, dear young people, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away. And he gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open, open wide the doors to Christ, and you will find true life. Amen. So that's how the homily that uh, Pope Benedict XVI ended his uh, first uh, Mass as Pope, where he was invested with the pallium and the fisherman's ring. And you just... Can you can't you just sense the the passion, like it? This is the be, the beautiful way that truth has uh, fire, 
the 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 truth that uh, Pope Benedict um, lived and and studied and reflected upon and wrote about was so powerfully revealed in this homily. He talks about something that is so critical for us to know. You hear me say how often on the radio, open your life to Christ, give him everything, surrender everything to him, take that risk, give the Lord a chance, allow him to come in, open up everything and cast it all before him, and trust yourself to him. And in so many ways, I'm 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 kind of a like a just a a, a a small echo of this powerful, beautiful, glorious message that Pope Benedict began his pontificate with. Um, what's amazing is this uh, April twenty fourth, two thousand and five. This um, this homily that he gave at the beginning of his ministry as Pope. Um, I remember this because it was just a, a few, like a, a handful of days before then, maybe a couple of weeks before then, that um, I began doing Sound Insight uh, live every day, Monday through Friday. Um, prior to then, it was once a week for an hour, and that was only for a few times I had done that before this. Uh, and then the two years prior, it was shorter, like half-hour segments uh, a couple times a week. And so it was the death of St. John Paul II that triggered the beginning of my daily, hour-long program on Sacred Heart Radio. And so I remember these days vividly, days when I would have on guests to talk about St. John Paul II, to talk about who would be the next pope, to talk about Pope Benedict when he um, was... um, raised to the papacy. I remember interviewing Scott Hahn uh, when he was, when Pope Benedict uh, was, you know, named, chosen as Pope, and how excited he was because uh, part of his conversion uh, and appreciation for the Catholic faith came from reading the then uh, Joseph Ratzinger, uh, a a cardinal of the church. So, uh, but more stories about Uh, Pope Benedict tomorrow on Sound Insight. I pray God's blessings on your day. Join me tomorrow. Take care.